Welcome to the Woke Blokes podcast, hosted by Nick Sutherland from MindFit and Ryan Hassan from the Center for Healing. Let's get into today's episode. Jesus, it's a bit fresh down in Melbourne today. How, how cold do you reckon it is? It's as cold as 40 bastards, mate. Oh, what the fuck does that mean? <laughs> this is this is a saying that isn't a very common one, but this is a shout out to, to Jeff Hassan, my old man. This is one that he says. I'd like to hear from anyone who's ever heard that as well, but he would always say if it's really cold outside that it's as cold as 40 bastards. Tristan, have you heard that one before? No, I'm, I'm actually taking it back. It's well, weird, well, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> if, if, you, if you take it literally, like a, I think a bastard is a, is a male who doesn't know who his dad is. Uh, but I think the beauty, the beauty of this saying is that there's forty of them, no more, no less, and you can use well, it for are, other are things. Are they all walking around looking for their fathers? In the, in the cold? <laughs> I'm just picturing 40 dudes walking down a, a deserted street. Dad, where are you? It's freezing. It's dark. It's in Melbourne. They're just all... Dad? Dad, is that Dad? Is that you? Yeah. So, but you can use it if it's too hot as well. So you can say it's as hot as 40 bastards or if someone's... Who determines you can use it whether it's hot or cold? My old man. Well, there you go. This, this, this I don't know. Like right we, we were talking about this over <laughs> delicious Ajisen Ramen. Shout out to our sponsor, Ajisen Ramen. Yeah, one day <laughs> you may be our actual sponsor. Um, and it was because my dad used to use it's as cold as a witch's tit. And I think we come to the conclusion that a witch may be cold hearted, cold blooded. So that's a fair assumption. Yeah. So as cold as a witch's tit. I don't, don't know why a boob would be specifically cold, but which is she all cold? Well, that's what I mean. I don't know why. It's, why is it her one tit? Why isn't it plural? Why isn't it cold as witch's tits? <laughs> um, Maybe she's had a mastectomy or something. I don't know. But look, I want to hear from anyone who's heard the 40 bastards things. I want to know if it's just my dad. I've never heard it. Which it might be. is a weird unit. But um, yeah, shout out to that. The, the beautiful voice you can hear that isn't mine and Nick's today is our good friend Tristan from Blind Tiger Yoga. Tristan, how are you, mate? Yeah, good. Thanks, mate. Um, yeah, I wasn't expecting the podcast to kick off like that. No, it's <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Having expectations, yeah. pal. <laughs> this podcast has kicked off like forty bastards. <laughs> they, are, they are the dulcet tones of uh, our good friend Tristan from Blind Tiger Yoga. They are dulcet tones, aren't they? they are. Nick, ask uh, Nick Tristan. Blind Tiger Yoga. What what is it, and and what do you do there? Uh, so, Blind Tiger Yoga is something that I founded a couple of years ago, and it's basically a complementary health modality that's designed to um, provide mindfulness and meditation, yoga and the healing arts to members of the military, veterans, first responders, and their broader communities. Why, why those people? Why those people is not only do I come from a military background, but um, also just through my own trials and tribulations and a personal experience, I just find that the culmination of what we deliver and what we offer is particularly beneficial for those those uh, groups involved. And I mean, it's groups that are really in need of this stuff as well. How, how long has Blind Tiger been going? Uh, we've just been going, oh, yeah, about two and a half years now. Um, we've talked to over 8,000 veterans and first responders and we're getting roughly around an 82 to 84% return rate. So it's- Wow, that, that's huge. It's massive. It's and massive. it's putting a lot of public yoga studios to shame. Um, and the proof's there that people are looking for alternative modalities than just medication to, to sort their issues out or 
the age-old approach that we've used in Australia and particularly in men of not talking about it or not doing anything about it. And that hasn't gone very well, has it? <laughs> no, no. It, it, oh, it, we'd it, like it to introduce hasn't. Captain Obvious to, yeah. the, uh, <laughs> to the recording I just, <laughs> I just imagine like if you go into yeah, a doctor or someone, it's like, oh, yeah, you know, I've got this and this coming up for me. What should I do? I reckon you just go home and just don't say anything to anyone Sil- about Silence it. is the best medicine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I looked at, um, you know, um, various people from or veterans from various generations, police officers, people that have been exposed to a range of things over an extended period of time and their method of being quiet about it is just there's obviously their own personal um, their own personal reasons as to why they haven't spoken about it. But ultimately it's wasn't it wasn't effective for me. Um, and I was like, well, this this model's not working. I'm going to find something that does. Find something that does. Yeah, that's so good. I think um, culture's a lot around the world, but especially in Australia is that whole like, you know, we're laid back, she'll be right, mate, it's all good. Meanwhile, uh, I think it was last year, 2018, that um, there was data released by Google as to, you know, because they get what countries have been searching what terms the most. And per capita, Australia was the number one country for searching for things related to anxiety and anxiety disorder and how to get treatment for anxiety. Wow. So there's this there's this big disconnect between, oh, we're all laid back and we're all good and casual, yet when we're by ourselves, we're, we're trying to research how to get help for these things. It's probably on the surface, you know, the, the keep up that facade that we're all calm and Casual and laid back and the beach vibe and all that sort of thing, but it's a it's a completely different story, isn't it? Oh, it is, hundred uh, percent. I love the name Blind Tiger Yoga. Where does that come from? Um, do you want the real story or do you want the um, <laughs> the the public public relations friendly story? Let's. What do you reckon? The real. The real. Yeah, all right, let's do so, the real. So the real story is um, one of my best mates and I were travelling through Europe post. Uh, one of his deployments to Afghanistan, and uh, let's be honest, it was it was probably a month of a piss trip through Europe, <laughs> and uh, we were in I think Bordeaux, and um, I think I was the only person in Bordeaux that didn't drink wine, and we were in a bar um, playing French music trivia, not a word in English, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and the best thing was, was that we were winning. Avec moi. Yeah. <laughs> we, we were we were actually winning, which was even. <laughs> Even better. How does so that happen? I don't know, but everyone was cheering every time that we we put an answer up, and we either we were getting the piss taken or not. Um, <laughs> and I actually have a photo of the um, the moment that I came up with the idea of Blind Tiger, and in a drunken sort of semi-drunken stupor, and um, I started sketching. The name of the bar was called Blind Tiger, oh. and uh, I started sketching the logo that is now yeah. the logo. And I was just like, wow, I come from the Tiger Battalion and that was our mascot. And my practice of yoga and meditation is really focused about switching down the senses and, well, not switching down the senses, um, that's incorrect, of shutting down my eyes and taking the practice inwards Mm. to the sensations of what I'm experiencing physically, mentally, or emotionally. I like how he corrects himself. um, (laughs) Had to. I was like, (laughs) I'll listen back to that and go, what the fuck did I just say? Um, And, yeah, it was really cool. And you were blind drunk. Yeah, and I was was blind drunk at the time. Um, But ultimately the, the, the name as well really embodies what we do of getting 
men and women to focus of what they can do, not what they can't. Everyone has a sob story. Everyone has a story of suffering. Everyone has their own struggles that we know nothing about. So I always say, don't be a dick. You don't know what people are going through. But when we have an injury, that doesn't mean it's the end of your road to recovery or to an even keel of health and well-being. And I found a lot of power and strength in that, in that, that, once a warrior, always a warrior. It's just your tools have changed. Mm. You know, I no longer sling a rifle, but yoga has become a weapon of peace. Mm. Yeah. You, uh, you should write a book called Way of the Peaceful Warrior. It sounds like a, <laughs> a book title that may suit you. Yeah. Um, I believe someone's in the process of what? making that. What? Um, yeah, Johnny Depp's doing the movie. <laughs> Seriously. Um, I had a question. Where'd it go? Uh, f- firstly, did you ever think of calling it monkey magic yoga or anything? No, see, this is this is when I was coming. So I didn't even know I was going to be a yoga teacher at this time, um, which is even more weird. Were you practicing? Um, How long had you been? I was practicing for probably three or four years before, at this time that okay. I was writing it. I had entertained the fantasy of, um, oh, maybe I should be able to, teach guys this and maybe my former peer group but didn't know how they would take to what it were, what were you working as a, at the time uh a commercial diver specializing in underwater explosives yeah so um very alpha male uh egotistical um hoorah yeah very much uh very much so in the oil and gas industry everyone's the hardest bloke and they just try to outbloke each other mm. every day yeah. and uh i thought to myself well People aren't going to go to Om Shanti Shanti um, <laughs> yoga run by ex-veteran. They're going to get the wrong message and the wrong image. And I thought, well, I want something that's masculine. I want something that can be feminine and a culmination of the two. It's not hard as nails and it's not soft as nails. It's, it's even balanced. So you had to really mindfully th- think about your uh, brand profile and, and oh, definitely what that looks like and probably looking back at this point in time looking back on reflection i wish i didn't put yoga in the title mm-hmm. i think that blind mm-hmm. tiger would have been more than sufficient because when i hear or read the word yoga i look at an embodiment of yoga as being meditation yeah and it's been lost in translation over the years yeah. and people think yoga is just the physical asana and is that I the move I was doing in the photo? Pretty much. Yeah. Pretty much. I, I, I felt that. I felt <laughs> it was the Asana. I felt Asana my, I felt my pose, chakra yeah. either break or align. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, look, I would have just called it Blind Tiger. And it's ultimately a mindset, what we're teaching people. And the mindset of it doesn't matter where you're at. You know, mm. you can work and build and adapt and overcome a whole range of issues and states of being by purely going inwards. Yeah, I think that. Does the word yoga originally mean union? Union or to yoke, um, depending on who you talk to. Obviously, there will be yogi scholars that will be just like, blasphemy. Um, <laughs> how dare he yeah, yeah. say that? How dare he say that? My guru is better than your guru and <laughs> all that shit. Um, which is a very interesting point because... Um, Isn't that anti-yoga? Well, that sort of that's, that's the thing is that you know, Sanskrit's a dead language yeah. and people are constantly in studios or in teachings. They'll read a word in Sanskrit and they've been taught it a certain way and they'll roll their eyes and they're like, it's not, for instance, 
um, <laughs> Utkanasana, it's Utkanasana. And you're like, I couldn't even tell the <laughs> difference between those. Or, I'm, uh, I'm blinking and, rapidly. And it's a dead language. Correcting someone in a dead language is that's ridiculous bit, well, in itself. I mean, that's what I mean. That's why I said it's not yoga because it seems very ego-based. It's Oh, there is so much ego in the yoga and I, I wouldn't have, health wouldn't and have been able to industry. tell it on if you hashtag yoga on Instagram. It seems of like Of course, you'll see um, Karen, 27, um, size zero, from blonde, Michigan. Uh, wearing Lou 11 from head to toe, and she's an enlightened being, um, <laughs> driving a Bentley. I saw her. She disappeared into a cloud of rainbow farts. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's probably one of been that's probably been one of been my biggest frustrations in coming into this industry is all the fake bullshit. Mm-hmm. And people get upset when you actually don't agree to what people have been prior taught or or um, well, I've been taught this way so this is the truth and I'm like well what's what's your truth yeah and why can't we question that exactly so yoga meaning to yoke um, in some translations to yoke um, the body and mind and become uh, unified or other people will say that well yoga is the union of the body and the mind can it just be whatever fits you? Whatever. Well, that's ultimately how I see it. Yeah. Uh, for instance, even talking about meditation, doing what moves you. I liken to talk to people about meditation, and particularly men, and they say, well, I, I can't meditate or meditation's not for me. And I'm like, well, what are you into? And I'll be talking to them about their passions and you know particular things that they're into. And I'm like, you're meditating. You know, you're actually just close your eyes and yeah, change you, your state of mind. You don't have to be hovering in a Yoda chair sort of thing <laughs> to to be practicing meditation. You know, we're having a conversation with noble speech and mindfulness right now, and mm. this is meditation. Mm. You know, what your interpretation of meditation and what yoga is needs to change because it's almost making it in this day and age exclusive for a certain type of person mm-hmm. and it's incorrect how many how many lululemon wearers do you think actually meditates um or practice yoga in look to be honest they make good training shorts and pants like i use them from jujitsu to surfing to diving etc they make a quality product but the it's very surface level mm. um you know i have through my experience and, you know, I've made some amazing contacts um, for people that work with Lululemon, have sponsored by them as well. They do a lot of community engagement programs. Mm, yeah. But also it's not the necessary image that I would say is inclusive to all. It's not probably not their fault either that people have taken this and run with it. And no, exactly. You know, um, I think the intention was like anything was yeah. pure when it first started. But I don't believe it necessarily is about getting across the... Um, the fact that it is for absolutely everyone. I like what you said before. It resonated with me. I know, I know I'm hijacking this, so. Um, but uh, what you said, you, you're teaching a mindset, and I think I'm. It struck me because I think I'm doing the same thing. It's, uh, and there is so much bullshit in in my field of, you know, we were talking earlier off here about are you okay and all this sort of stuff, and how that's very surface level as well. It's not really creating much of a shift or that people are just repeating the suicide rates and everything. So it's, yeah, I think people who have been through, you know, what we've been through and, and come out the other side and are, are in this space have a 
capacity to create change, to create ripples and, and to make waves and get people thinking differently and open people's minds up again about what, what can we be doing. So, yeah, it's just, it's, I don't know, I, I love connecting with other people that are, aren't afraid to go, well, let's challenge this, let's, mm. let's question it, let's ask different questions. Yeah, so say from that when you, you know, sketched the logo for the first time and you were, you know, doing yoga yourself but not a trainer, so to speak, I guess then from there you went and did the teacher training and that kind of thing. I, I'd already done various teacher trainings but and it was quite interesting because I was probably the only student on those courses that was there for the pure enjoyment of the practice itself. I wasn't there for, and they give you a lovely piece of paper at the end of the course and go, well, now you're a qualified teacher. I'm like, man, I was just here for me. Like, I wasn't here to learn skills to teach others. I was here to be re recalibrating myself and, and learning for myself. So it was a number of years before I actually started teaching. Right. Um, and it came to a point where I started feeling guilt around not sharing it with other people, yeah. but finding the platform in which to do so without all the extra fluff and yeah. and and so how did that start? I'd like to know. Like, how did you that when you first started teaching and were having that realization that yeah, I need to share this with people? How did that first start? Well, first I needed to find a way that well, I'd go to a lot of classes from all different teachers and some that I would really resonate with and some not so much. Um, one particular gentleman that I really resonated with um, and I still think he's one of the best teachers in Australia he's done his basic 200 hour um, teacher training mm -hmm. and a lot of people say that's well it is the entry level to be a qualified teacher and then you're doing continuous trainings from there on and there on and people have in the thousands of hours of teacher trainings in different modalities and he did just the one basic teacher training he reads books and he practices. Mm. And he's probably one of the most phenomenal teachers that I've ever encountered. And he's an ex-Australian pro surfer. Uh, he was a landscape architect and he uh, didn't have- uh, What is it about him that you think, what, what was it about him that resonated with you the most? He was true to himself. Yeah. He was completely so was, true to himself. Was a genuine and authentic. He was a human being. In, in, in an industry that you said before is so surface level. Yeah, and he was look, you know- connected to it. I think, um, you know, getting guys to go into your yoga studio is hard enough in itself. And there's been big shifts and changes over the years because it was for a particular type of person. But the way that Rich Kelly delivered his classes was that, well, this is what I believe and I don't need to tweak it to make it applicable for anyone. This is just how I interpret the teachings through my own experience. And through that, um, you know, his way and style of teaching made me more accepting of other teachers' styles, etc. Um, some people were just textbook, this is what I've learned, so therefore I'll regurgitate it. Mm. Some people, or a lot of people, I get this all, almost weekly when I'm teaching, people will say, how many hours have you done? Mm. How many trainings have you done? That and it's become a dick that. measuring thing. And I'm like... Yeah. Did you get into this practice for that? And it's almost, um, it, it sort of makes me cringe a bit because I, I always say to people straight away when they go, um, here's my resume, and I'll ask them a simple question before I even look at it, and I'll say, how often do you practice? Yeah. And if they look at me a bit confused, I'm like, it's, it's a simple question. Mm. 
I don't care about your qualifications. It's fantastic that you have them mm. and that you've taken it on board yourself to develop what you're doing. But how often do you practice? I think that's similar in, in our field has about traditional psychology and everything. And, and you know, I'll go and study or do a course and there's heaps of psychologists or whatever and they'll look at me and say, you know, where, what qualifications have you got and everything. And I've, I've done nowhere near as much training as them, but in a similar sense to what you're talking about, to me that's just evidence that they're good at learning mm-hmm. and they're, they're good at, you know, sitting in a classroom and, and understanding what other people are coming up with. But it sounds like Rick, um, the teacher, sort of come up with his own interpretation. He, you know, he's coming through himself. And I think for me, I don't know about you, mate, but for me that's, I know that's just a, a deeper way of doing it that's how i enjoy doing it yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. i mean if you're not you know doing it yourself and, and keeping up with that practice like yeah it's just you see it a lot like people even you know ask us like oh you will you do a training for your modality and that kind of thing and it's people who are just always doing the next training mm. but without without ever then practicing themselves and then going and actually doing it yeah. and it's like it's this accumulation of, of c- certificates on the board mm. but you're not actually doing anything <laughs> with anyone yeah. and it's yeah. always like well once i get the next one then i'll be able to work with people <laughs> yeah. and, and that fear of that fear of actually walking the walk and then doing it with other people becomes too much so i'll just do the next thing 100 percent. like um about to go back to the states um to to do another teacher training tomorrow and this is the same um, model that i've done three or four times now and this particular component i haven't taught any of these teachings to anyone in my community that i teach to because i'm like well i believe that unless you practice it or you have a, a comprehension of it um don't teach it if yeah. you're not qualified or you're not ex- at a level of confidence in the, in the actual model, don't so teach you it. You can intellectualize it, but if you're not in living it and breathing, experiencing it, it well, yeah, well, there's the debate fraudulent. here around um, well, intellectual comp- comprehension of a subject, and that, as you said, people can learn, mm. um, and then there's real experience. Now, which one supersedes the other is is up for debate. And well, are you gonna are you gonna ask a bloke to build your house if he studied building or if he's actually built his own house? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, um, working around with underwater explosives, you know, you can re- <laughs> read the manual on it, but I'm not Give letting it a you shot. touch it. Yeah, just go nuts, man. I'm just <laughs> just cut the red wire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just mate, just go for it. This um, reminds me of a uh, story I heard. It was about uh, a mother who was took her son to see Gandhi. Um, and you have these big lines of people coming to ask questions and that kind of thing. And she got up there and she said, Gandhi, you know, my son's eating far too much sugar and you know, I need him to stop. Are you able to have a talk to him? And Gandhi said, yes, come back in one month. Right. So they waited a whole bloody month and she waited up in line again, got all the way to the front. And Gandhi looked at the kid and said, stop eating sugar. It's bad for you. And the mother's like, why didn't you tell me that a month ago? And he said, because I need to see if I could do it first. Yeah. Right. So uh, he, he needed to walk the walk for a month before he would give advice on something that he hadn't done himself. I love, I love that. Like I, I will say at the end of a class um, quite often, if you have any questions about yoga, meditation or even philosophy, uh, never hesitate to come over and have a chat. But I'll do my best to answer it. If I don't know, I'll either redirect you to someone that may be able to help you with your inquiry or I'll simply tell you that I don't know. Yeah. Because 
this is something that we don't want to admit in 2019 is I don't know. We, we've, we've spoke about that in one of our earlier podcasts, this whole concept of uh, being embarrassed or ashamed of being seen as ignorance. But everyone's ignorant. None of us know everything. Oh, exactly. Well, none of us know why we're really here on this planet. So to think that Tristan's we Tristan's know- wondering why he's here. <laughs> in Sheltenham. <laughs> he's slowly pushing his chair back. But I don't know why that is. <laughs> I'm sorry the mic's breaking out. I'm just going to pop smoke. No. Have, do you find with your students, like I, you know, I'm a mental health practitioner, but I, I'm educational, so I'm constantly teaching people mental health tools and resources. And I've seen so many of them sit there and intellectualise it and interpret it and then they'll go away and they'll tell all their friends what to do but they're not practising it themselves. So I've had to put a a rule, I guess, in with my clients saying you are not allowed to talk to anyone about any of this until you're living, living it and breathing it yourself. Do you see people try and run off and talk to their friends about... Oh, um, I think that's with any topic, really. It sounds um, like it's like a hot potato and, like, you give someone this information that, oh, and they're just trying to pass it on to someone else and no one's actually holding the hot potato so and why, doing it. why would they do that, though? What would, be, what would they get out of passing on this hot potato? Because it's easier than doing it themselves. Does it make them also look good? Yeah. Yep. yep. They would seem, seem more intelligent and, hey, look look at this advice I can give you. But, yeah, it's, it's, it's much easier to just do that than to actually sit, you know, every day with yourself and do these practices and watch your thoughts and your emotions. And it's just, it's just harder work. And if you're not used to doing it, then it's, it's easier to preach. Well, Roman scholars and back in the day used to get frustrated because no one wanted to actually learn the arts, history, culture, etc., and new ways of thinking and philosophy. And they just wanted to learn rhetorical skills that would make them effective in a political arena. And whether that be the marketplace or the, the, the talk box or whatever mm. situation, they just wanted to know the key elements that would make them sound more intelligent. And this has been something throughout time yeah. that educators have had this frustration with is that people, and you can go onto social media and there's pages completely dedicated to quotes. Yeah. And you're like, prime example, I was talking to a, a yoga teacher and I said, do you know where that quote came from that you quoted in the class? And she said, no, I just read it on a card. And I just said, just be careful in the context in which what you quote because that can come back to kick you in the ass." And uh, she said, oh, how so? Put it in an example. And I said, for one unified people to go towards a common goal of the greater good as a nation, as society to move forward is to unify as one with the sole purpose and she's like i love that who said that i'm like i believe that was hitler mm. i'm like don't go use that in your class um, <laughs> <laughs> and drop the mic and walk yeah, out there yeah. you go there i'm probably the first yoga teacher that has quoted hitler, hitler. There you go. but um and <laughs> yeah um for those of you listening at home no i'm not a scholar <laughs> of, of hitler by any by but any means like you, you get people reading all the, the quotes on instagram and that and and they go oh yeah that sounds good that sounds good but that's where it stops and that's where that it's knowledge, knowledge isn't power until it's applied yeah yeah i um yeah, I completely agree, and I think that's a very powerful statement as well. For instance, talking before about qualifications, etc. You know, if I was to put my resumes all together, etc., and the degrees that I have, the postgrads, the certificates, and the diplomas, it looks unbelievably 
impressive and go, wow, like I can go into a multiple arenas with what I've actually got from academics. But um, in reality, I've been out of those skill sets for an extended period of time that I would have to go relearn them. Mm -hmm. And people go, well, this person is overqualified, but are they competent? Mm. And I think that this is a big frustration with yoga and particularly in meditation as well is that because people don't have that personal experience, there is a lot of McDonald's or McMindfulness out there because um, <laughs> McMindfulness out there because people will go, oh, look, you know, I did this course on Udemy for five bucks. Uh, I did it in four hours and now I'm, I've got my certified. Like, yeah. like, give me a piece of paper and I'll write you a certificate now. Yeah. Um, but people hold so tightly the attachment around their qualifications as well. Mm. The clinging to that, which ultimately causes the suffering because their identity is wrapped up in, I've trained with this person, I've trained with that person, and we all do it. I've been guilty of it as well. Mm. Like I'm very proud of of being a student under various teachers. I'm very proud of it. But I find myself more and more when people say, how many hours of training have you done? I withdraw from it more and more because I'm like, I'm trying to step away from that picture that I don't mm. necessarily like. And if I enforce this, you know, I'm going against my own frustration. Mm. I'm the opposite. People always ask me, oh, you know, have you read this book? Have you read that book? And if I'm completely honest, I, I barely read other people's work. I barely look at what anyone else is doing because I, I feel it, it detracts from what I'm trying to do. And it'll, it'll not, not poison, that's the wrong word, but being influenced by others. Sure. Yeah. And, and it stops it's, being mine. Yeah, it's very hard to, I suppose, put together original thoughts if you're constantly taking in information from outside sources. Mm. So I think, you know, I like to think it is a combination. You can take information in through books or whatever it is, but there needs to be an equal or much greater time to actually process that and relate it to how you, you live your life so you can come up with original thoughts. Well, I think I, I did it early in my career, you know, and, and that's where my stuff's based with, you know, Viktor Frankl and Buddhism and Stoicism and got a roots in that sort of stuff. But then, um, so that's, that's influenced that early start, but then on top of that, it's probably all my own stuff as a byproduct of that yeah of course because then you're constantly working with people and then so you're constantly you you're making uh connections in your mind and you're seeing patterns mm. and you're learning so much and you would do the same in your classes tristan and all of a sudden you're gathering so much more valuable data than what you can read in a book yeah. because you're seeing okay i know that person and what they need now i know what she needs over there and it's different I didn't read that in a book, but I know because I've seen it over and over and I'm practicing my craft so I can put that together so, now. So it's an intellectual property rather than someone else's no, definitely. property. And, yeah. and I think as well with that whole process as well is that what's your intention behind the ego yardstick of measure as well? Like what, what's behind, what does it actually give you by making yourself out to be something that you're not? And people that practice or people that are looking for alternative ways or even conventional ways to deal with their health and well-being, we'll see through that. Mm. They will genuinely, you can tell a genuine person from a brief conversation or interaction, um, you know, you can't judge them as a whole person, obviously, by their actions in a very short space of time, because we're all human and we all have moments. But 
ultimately you can see whether someone's intention is pure or it's for a, almost a selfless egotistical standpoint have you seen goodwill hunting and that's seen where they're in the bar and matt damon's character you know isn't an, you know, well studied and everything and there's a guy who starts quoting and he's like and Matt Damon's character turns around and goes oh you've read Keats well done that's all you're doing is reciting someone else's words to that effect yeah shut the guy down I remember um, going into the military and I set the GAMSAT uh, the entrance for what you could do in the military and I basically got a 20 out of 20 and they said you could do anything that you want and I chose to do infantry and the recruiter recruitment officer was just like mate i'm just telling you this is this is gonna be not mentally stimulating for you this is not going to be something that you're going to enjoy you literally can do anything that you want and i said well look this is actually what i want this is the whole thing behind this is this is choice and he said well i implore you to go officer and i don't um suggest that you go as an enlisted man and doing further research etc i was like well you know my interests were around rugby martial arts um, you know, bloke stuff. I'm mm. like, there was one of the very few jobs that I could go into that I couldn't do on civilian street and I wouldn't have the opportunity to do in a civilian career. And the constant battles that I had throughout my career with officers, um, one particular incident with a young uh, lieutenant, and he said, let's be clear, we're not equals. Mm. And he was giving me this lecture about how we weren't equals. Mm. I'm like, I did two degrees and learnt four different languages in my spare time whilst being a full-time alcoholic and soldier. Mm. <laughs> and we're not equals. And the way that he spoke with just an air of arrogance. Mm. And I asked him what he did before the military. And he said he was a cook. And I was just like, where was this bred into you? Where was this level of arrogance mm. bred into you? And it really took me back and it really frustrated me. And the progression in my military career, I probably would have retired at a significantly higher rank if I kept my mouth shut. <laughs> but, um, you know, if something was too stupid or it was just especially on operations when it was a call that I didn't necessarily see that was safely achievable, um, I would speak up about it. And that's, like, that's probably why you would have been a good officer because you would have been in a position to make definitely. Um, but being a being a, a young kid joining the military as well, you know, even just a section commander level you know, on operations, you still have yeah, a yeah. huge amount of responsibility, and you compare yourself to what people are doing at the same age. And even now, when I interact with someone, and I'm like, "How old are you?" and they don't even have the basic skill sets to look after themselves in mm. Western society. And I think about what I was doing at that age mm. and go, wow, I did have a phenomenal amount of responsibility mm. at that time. But with that statement of we're not equals and there was this constant battle with um, where you sat in the pecking order. And mm. I, I believe that it was when I got back from my last trip from Afghanistan and I sat the GAMSAT. I was like, I want to go for the medical scholarship and practice medicine. And I got 98.6 on, on the GAMSAT. And, you know, <laughs> scholarships were, were opening up for me to go um, study medicine. And I remember my CSM saying to me, um, my missus tried, didn't work for her. 
um, we've invested a lot of time and money into you. We're not going to let you go. Yeah, right. And the ch- if the people in the public are listening to this, we have a, a system what's called the chain of command, um, and it goes up and down the chain of command, and it, it can stop. The passage of information can stop depending on that person's rank. And it never got to the higher echelons of, of command that I was getting these results, and this is where I wanted to go with my career. And I was very frustrated and agitated that I had the aptitude to do these things. Um, sat the um, selection for a helicopter pilot with flying colours, etc. There wasn't anything that I couldn't do. But then I was getting told by people that didn't have those skill sets or didn't have those capabilities that I couldn't do it. Mm. Other people were They're setting the limitations. You. Yeah, and yeah. it was for the gain. It was a lot of mental restriction and resistance around that and a lot of resentment which then turned to a lot of anger um, and frustration because I was at a point where I know what I'm capable of Um, who are you to hold me back but do you reckon that's what the guy was trying to say at that first test was it's not going to be mentally stimulating no I I personally hated him and he also hated me Uh, so (laughs) it was uh yeah, it was a mutual hatred there. So, right. um, but now, look, you know, I've since then been in contact with that um, particular CSM, and uh, I was a very angry person at that point in time in my life. And I oh, like that. Remember the first? Uh, you really got twenty out of twenty, and the bloke mm-hmm. said you should be an officer and not don't go into infantry. Do you reckon he was trying to say to you? No, I just be boring, I, I purely shit. look at the recruiting and military is that they put their recommendations forth where there's gaps and there's holes that need to be filled purely simply is that i so lucked out i was i was so glad i went to cavalry i was just thank god i, I didn't want to walk with a pack everywhere no as they say a second class ride's better than a first class walk <laughs> uh, <laughs> i had well i was both so i did i started as reservist in uh infantry so I completed infantry and then when I joined full time, went to school of Cav and yeah, got posted to Darwin. So I, I could walk and drive. Ah, was, awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, surprisingly, I absolutely love pack marching. I absolutely love it. I get in a place of zen and the amount of times that I would rock up for early morning PT, drunk as a skunk, and people would be sober from anticipating the pack march and i would have a full pack i'd probably carry some 19 year olds pack as well full drunk at the front and then they were constantly trying to break me and it just wouldn't happen and i used to take some form of pleasure when you get into that state of flow and you just go one foot in front of the other Mm. as simple as that one step at a time you know and you'd get in this state of shuffling and you'd just be like, literally, uh, it's a mechanism now. Forrest Gump. Yeah, like literally. It's, yeah. uh, it, it was great. And people were like, dude, are you sure you got those results? Because you're taking a lot of pleasure and discomfort right now. <laughs> and ultimately, I think I thank the military for l- giving me the skill sets of learning to be comfortable when discomfort arises, mm. which I'm forever g- grateful for, yeah, those, same, those same lessons. Same. I remember doing the... Um, the beep tests and the BFAs, you know, running to 2.4K and I'd be like the first one back, light up a cigarette and be waiting at the line and everyone would be crossing. And I'm just like, I look back at that and I'm like, why was I doing it? Like, why wasn't, why didn't I stop smoking so I can improve? But what I was doing at that age was so much ego trying to just show everyone how good I was. And there was also no reward for 
doing higher than the minimum standard. Oh, exactly, yeah. So the motivation there as well, you're like, well, why am I smashing out an eight minute 30 run when people are giving themselves high fives for making in the last second? I'd be looking around at other cores and just going, you're celebrating that you passed the minimum standard. And is that what our society's come to that yeah. we celebrate just getting across well, we the do, line? Because of this, with like, you know, nutritional stuff now as well, and they talk about, you know, being in the right range for having certain vitamins and blood markers and all that kind of thing. But that is a medical range, which is basically the amount you need to have not to get sick. And that's it. Right, so instead then of being healthy instead of yeah, instead of thriving, it's yeah. like well, here's your here's your recommended take to just not get real sick and just to get by like everyone else, or now you can thrive, but it's a completely different marker. So that's a good segue. I don't know how connected with DVA you are, like on in cap payments and all that sort of stuff. But um, do you? I, I learned someone told me, and it was an advocate, I think, said that DVA, Department of Veterans Affairs, for those listening, um, is just an ins- insurance agency. Yeah, I, and I, that's all they are. And I, I don't think there's any reward for getting healthy. I think so many people link in with DVA and they get paid for being in bad physical health through their service and that, which is which is what should happen. But there's no incentive to get better, I don't think. Well, you've just touched on a brilliant topic and um, and I think that is a great segue into a further discussion about uh, physical and mental health. And that is around staying about the no incentive. When I was suffering at the peak of my mental health issues, etc., from depression, anxiety, and a whole range of extra things as well, I was expecting there to be a support team Mm. in place to help you and assist you to get better. Mm -hmm. And the reality was, is that it never came. Now, this isn't through um, unaccountability from DVA or any external parties. And I see this on a daily basis of teaching, of just asking people simple questions of, They'll come in guns blazing and they'll say, oh, DBA didn't do this for me. Um, They didn't do that. They haven't done this. They haven't done that. I'm like, well, what they're doing is out of your control. I understand the frustration of going through the process with Mm. DBA. And I've met some actual incredible human beings um, that are working to try and fix things and make them better in the system. They're genuine people. Mm. And it was really refreshing to meet these people because I did have quite a negative view but I wasn't getting on the bandwagon of a lot of veterans that I encounter. And it's the same with members from VicPol um, mm. paying out work cover mm. and um, all different insurance agencies. But I think the system's meant to be there to support them, but it's not the reality. Exactly. But when you come to the realisation, it, it really dawned on me that the only person that's going to help me is me. Yeah. I wish I had have had that when I was discharged, you know, depression, anxiety, adjustment disorders, you know, drinking problems, all that sort of shit, and I wasn't linked in with any psych services. Looking back, if I could go back in time, I would tell that version of me, go and find your own help. Go yep. and go and find your own psych. Go and do your own things. A simple question, what are you doing to, to help, help yourself? yourself? <laughs> yeah. You know, it, it's so simple, and it doesn't yeah. matter if you're – a soldier or a member of the ADF or any of the emergency services to the broader public. 
what are you doing for yourself? Mm. What are you ultimately doing for yourself? I had it in my head, you know, the old depiction in movies that if someone had a mental health issue, the people in white coats would come down and pick you up and yeah, take yeah, you yeah. away. Mm. That doesn't happen. <laughs> drive, drive, drive through some certain suburbs in Melbourne. You're like, I've seen no one in a white coat. Yeah. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, there's people that need attention here, but they're not getting it. And ultimately, yeah. I thought that the support networks that we had in place, on paper, it looked phenomenal of what was available, what was mm. um, out there, etc. But look, there is no silver bullet. There is no one treatment, one technique, one speciality that will work for everyone. There is no magic wand. And ultimately, if you don't have the mindset to find out what works for you, what doesn't, with an attitude of observing, allowing how you react to the treatment given or the delivery of it, and you don't have the fortitude to go, I'm going to try something else, well, no one's going to be able to change that until you make the conscious decision that you want to change it for yourself. But I think for, like, I was 23, 24 or something when I left, when I was discharged. And looking back, that version of me, that age, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, I shouldn't have been responsible for anything. Like, I was just a wreck. And if I had have had someone there, you know, like a, a me now, not necessarily DVA or the army, but someone that's been through it and with the experience to look back and go right you're about to get discharged and set free in the world you've done they gave me a um a cert one for civvy i think i did a coffee course or something that was them equipping me to go out in the world but yeah there was no one there saying right you've got a the help's not going to be there as you want it to be or need it to be you've got to help yourself yeah ultimately and you know that comes down to anything for instance, if someone, um, whether they be a professional or just someone concerned and proactive about health and well-being, suggests try this modality, mm. and it doesn't work, well, do you go? Where where are your own parameters here? How long do you give it to see any positive results or negative results or change? And do you go to a different practitioner to try it from the same style but delivered from a different person? That's a really important point because I think we we can get in that place where we generalise everything. So I might go and do a yoga and meditation class and I'll go, no, it didn't work. And then I just write off yoga and meditation altogether, not knowing that there's a whole slew of different practitioners and different modalities within that modality that I might really resonate with and get results out of. Yeah, well, I did. I ran a meditation class yesterday, and the first thing I said was, "If you've never done meditation, get all of that out of your head because you've never done it in here with me in this room, and it's going to be different." So, if you've come in with any expectations of what meditation should be, that's what I used to say to ladies when I used to take them home after dinner. <laughs> <laughs> expectation management. Now, this 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 is a segue into expectation management. Two minutes in heaven is better than one One minute in heaven. heaven. Thank you for Um, (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Jermaine. (laughs) But expectation management around health modalities as well needs to be a personal accountability addressed to this as well. Now, DBA have got a, uh, just to use them as an example, their, their process isn't exactly clear cut and defined of, what's the not only the process what's available etc what are avenues um these are things that you know should be in a a formalized package and people are working on this at the moment and the last thing they want to do is be turning over money the last thing they want to do of course not so they're going to hide a lot of stuff definitely and this is where 
I've had people say to me, oh, look, you know, you had this covered or you had this um, given to you. And I'm like, no, no, let's clarify something. I took the time to look into the legislation of what was actually eligible to me. Mm. I took the time in figuring that out. No one's going to, here's the book, go read it yourself. And if you don't want to read it yourself, well, don't complain that you didn't get the service. I've got five claims in at the moment Mm -hmm. and no idea that, um, you know, I could submit these claims until I sat down and did some homework. Yep. And look, you know, that comes back to, you know, for instance, when I'll have people come to my class and say, oh, you know, my missus has told me to come here. I'm like, why are you, why are you here? Yeah. And they'll say, my missus told Under me to duress. come here. I'm like, I'm actually asking you a straight... And they'd get start getting ag- agitated and frustrated because they're just repeating the same answer. I'm like, you're not listening to the question that I'm asking. Mm. You know, why are you actually here? You know, are you here for your own health and well-being? Are you here, here for your own happy? individual intention? You know, what is your purpose? And everyone has a different purpose for being here. But if you don't know and you have no scope of where you want to go, fucking go somewhere else mm. because you're going to be toxic to what we've created. Mm. And it just takes that, the highest vibration in the room, people will vibrate to it. Mm. And if you're the most pissed off person in the room, it will change the dynamic of the room. If you're the happiest and chilled person in the room, people will vibrate off that. Yeah. I truly believe it. Yeah, it's like a tuning fork. It is. It's 100% so. Yeah, I mean, this has come up a lot in our discussions about really taking charge of your own journey, you know, and a lot of people will come in and, you know, see us and say, oh, I'm just not happy. It's like, all right, well, in the last week, how many hours have you dedicated to your own happiness? Yeah. What? what? Yeah. <laughs> what? I had a 21-year-old girl come in for a, uh, her first session the other day, social anxiety, all this sort of stuff, and she was... Amazing, this girl. Amazing. So much potential there. But she'd never even come across this concept that you can become responsible for your own happiness. It wasn't until I wrote it in my book. Number one golden rule. Who's responsible for your happiness? Uh, I am. And then I asked the question again. But, but at this point in time, who is being responsible for your happiness? They're two different questions that have the same words in it. And she's like, oh, like, who, who are you giving your happiness? Who's got the key to your happiness? Who, who's, who makes you happy? Yeah. Oh, all my friends, they have to say that I look good or that my hair's nice. Okay, so stop outsourcing your shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, my, it's my boss or my partner or my football team or that kind of thing. Or the, the army or DVA or, you know, so many. I got on a Facebook um, DVA group, discussion group. Oh, was Fuck that the biggest reg- regret that you did, uh, you've ever done? I don't regret anything because <laughs> I, 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 I find that... But this one's close. I, yeah. <laughs> I, find, I look for the value in everything and I found a lot of value. In, I found a lot of potential clients. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That thing is just a toxic ball pit, man. Yeah, I, yeah. I literally had to re- um, withdraw from social media for a whole month, um, of particularly off Facebook, the forums, the veteran forums, etc., and people just complaining, for instance, the hot topic at the moment, um, the Royal Commission into DBA was mm. denied and a lot of people are quite angry and upset about it because of the, not only the treatment for themselves or that they've lost mates through suicide, etc., family members, whatever, and they had over 220,000-something signatures for it to go forward and mm. it was denied. And it's caused so much stress for the people that are emotionally involved in 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 this inquiry and everyone's getting on there with just nothing but this massive 
ball of hate towards mm. this actual topic. And I've just had to withdraw from it because the simple thing is, is that you're complaining on the wrong platform, the wrong way about it, and you're just not only destroying yourself every time that you go onto that forum, you're taking a massive chunk out of yourself, your own energy. Mm. And I just don't have that energy to waste from someone's hot steam, you know. And um, for me, I had to withdraw from it all. And I find it quite draining to do. And if I'm going to do it, I do it before it's bed. Hard so though. I'm going <laughs> I'm to crash afterwards. It's hard though, isn't it? Because um, we sit there and we can observe this without the attachment. We can look at it objectively. We can see where the source of the pain is coming from. We can, look beyond, we can look beyond what people are projecting. And we've got tools and resources that can minimise or reduce or even eradicate all of that suffering. But they're just not ready. They're not in a space where they want to get better because they're so... And that's, that's a, a massive truth bomb right there is that, okay, so accountability, you need to be accountable of what you're actually in charge of or what's in your control. Then you need to have the drive to actually start sourcing stuff for yourself and helping yourself. And then there's ultimately, um, it comes back to something before all this even commences, which is, do you want to do it for yourself? Mm. You know, if you're not in a place that you're ready, you know, you can have access to the best treating professionals in the world and it'd be ineffective. Mm. If you don't have that closed mind, isn't it? If your mind is is closed around what you believe should be happening and that attachment. And should is a swear word. Yeah. Then you're never gonna you're never gonna have an open mind that is able to absorb new ideas, new philosophies, new concepts. Yeah, definitely. This that the white people in the white coats aren't coming. The extraction team isn't coming. There is no um, evacuation um, route or you know fire plan to get out of your um, here and now issues. It's hundred percent yourself. And when people start going, well, I'm going to stop pointing the finger and start, you know. Looking in the mirror. <laughs> Look, yeah, the man in the glass. You know, the person that you you can. They don't like who they see, and they've got an aversion to that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, and those are ultimately the two things, as you know, um, coming from a Buddhist background, of, that leads to suffering is aversion and craving. You know, and craving to be a certain way, and aversion of that they don't want to deal with it. That's a good segue into uh, the Vipassana meditation that you've just come out of. Yeah, Looking yeah. It's, w- w- it's woke as fuck, but zen as fuck as well. <laughs> zen as fuck, a zaff, he's yeah. a zaffer. So, yeah, we will segue into that and also, you know, different, you know, some practical things that you've done throughout the time and do now to keep on top of your, your mental health. But, yeah, let's talk about your recent Vipassana trip. It's not your first one, is it? No. 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 So I've done various silent meditations and everything. Mm-hmm. It was my first time uh, Vipassana here in Victoria. Yeah. And that was, is that at Warialik? Warialik, yeah, yeah. and 10 day? 10 uh, day, 10 yeah. day, yeah. So th- Which is for those really who- 11. Really 11. For those who haven't heard of it, uh, silent retreat, so no speaking, um, lots of meditation throughout the day. Can't look at anyone else. Can't acknowledge anyone else. Can't acknowledge anyone else. No gestures, no uh, verbal written communication, segregated between uh, male and female. Yep. Um, Tell us about your experience. What what came up this time? um, It was interesting. Um, Every time that... I go in with a, a mindset every time that I meditate and or a dedicated seated meditation um, or even a yoga practice for that matter with every practice will be unique 
in its own way. You know, you can do the same thing and have a completely different experience. Trying to replicate that experience that you've had in the past is like trying to recreate a night out <laughs> with your mates that you had at a pub or somewhere that you've been at before. Blunt Tiger in Bordeaux. Yeah, 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 you know, and you think to yourself, oh, look, it's the same place, it's the same group of mates, but yeah. it's a completely different... We, we get that with the views of float tanks, flotation awesome. therapy as part of the program. Love People it. will be like, what's it like? And I'm like, I've, I might have done over 100 floats now. Everyone's been different. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, look, the, the, the timings, I think it was a lot of a... Um, when I go on to these sort of things, I always like to arrive early. Typical army guy, do a bit of a recon of your environment, etc. And um, I have a very hard time sleeping, especially around um, people that I don't know. And I was very fortunate to be given a um, single room. Yeah, I had the same. And uh, I was very grateful of, of, of that and thanked the teachers at the, the end of the course. And um, when people started arriving, etc., um, similar to a military situation, li- sit back and listen to the people jaw off and, and uh, the loud ones and the ones that, um, you know, were very boisterous and uh, trying to be the alphas of the pack were the ones that all tapped out, every single one. How, so ma- how many tapped out? Nine males and two females. Yeah, interesting. Um, out of how many all up? Uh, 26 males, 26 females. Wow. Okay. Plus old students and servers. So um, long days, um, I'm up at 3.55 every morning anyway, so the mornings didn't bother me um, till 21.30 at night. So, and it's a long period of time. Um, having little mental plans in place to get me through, um, to have little points or checkers to get me through the days was an interesting skill that I've I've learned. For instance, I would say, well, I'm going to wear, change my clothes every two days. So I would look at it as a five day retreat. In <laughs> I'd do this little trick in my own mind and go five costume changes. Five costume changes, and that it's no. I'm just going to compartmentalize that it's. <laughs> well, I think when, when I did it, I was I think I've spoken about this, but I was observing other people. You know, I was sitting there eating my mandarin or whatever, and just just watching the world go by and I could see people that were struggling um, with the whole restriction of freedom like mm. you can't leave the compound you have to be in certain places at certain times and there's timing schedules and everything and I think for me it was a breeze that aspect of it because of the army because mm. I'd been to adherence to timings you know these are there's so many positive things that came out of the military um, and skill sets that you've developed. When people say, I got nothing out of the military, I th- immediately think, well, that's the caliber of soldier that you were because mm. it gave you skill sets that far surpass um, civilian um, conditioning because you do have that respect for timings, um, schedules, etc., like that, the programs, rules, regulations, etc. Um, very conditioned for that. So the timings weren't a problem for me at all. I think that um, a few people that didn't surrender their phones at the start, which I saw, really? you know, put their, put it in, oh, I didn't bring my phone. I'm like, it's 2019, mate. It's in your back pocket. It's the size of a brick. I can see it in your pants. But, you know, I've got to be quiet right now. So uh, wow. I'll just keep that to myself. And they were all the people that tapped out. Um, Just imagine your little posts on Instagram. Yeah. Like, hashtag woke as fuck. Hashtag for passing yeah, up. Yeah. You hashtag know. not talking but typing. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, um, you know, it was probably the biggest struggle for me was 
you know, when you're going into a different technique and particularly with Vipassana as well is letting go of all pre-learnt experiences, techniques that you use, etc. And um, for me to let go of nearly 15 years of dedicated meditation and just go down the one route of inquiry, there was a lot of initial restriction to that. It didn't last for very long. It didn't manifest in a physical form. It was just an observation of going, oh, wow, I've conditioned myself with my own... I've found what works for me. And when I'm in particular settings or situations, for instance, when pain arises, I have different mental techniques that I use to deal with that pain, to observe the pain and let it go and do the best of what I can with what I've got. And when you're doing a technique that is different from what you normally would use and putting the the brakes and really surrendering yourself to the practice and allowing it to happen, there's obviously going to be some clashes there. And so there was a lot of internal chuckles. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I guess that, for instance, using a body scan, for me, when I use a body scan, I do that before I go to bed, before I sleep. So, so the a body first scan time, for our listeners is where you just send your awareness through your body and detect yeah. what the um, sensations. Yeah, sensations are. And I use that technique prior to going to sleep. I give myself a little situation report of how I'm operating and where I'm at, etc. And the first, <laughs> the first day we introduced the body scan. I fell asleep. <laughs> and, Association. And I'm like, and I just had to have a chuckle. And the teacher that woke me up as well, um, I noticed his hand going towards me before he touched me. And I sort of like looked at him and I was a bit sort of like that pre-programming of someone's about to grab you, smack him. Yeah. <laughs> but um, we both just laughed and I, I got to speak to him after the course and I said, oh, you know, was I snoring or was I worried? He goes, no, you, your head was like on a like a 90 degree angle. <laughs> like it was just, your body was upright, but your head was just flailing. And I just laughed and I've just gone, well, look, that's bound to happen. Like if, you're progr- if you've used a technique to give you a particular yeah, yeah. result, that proves that that technique did, works for did me. You send, did yeah. you do the send your awareness through one temple and out the other? At the, uh, the all, all different... Um, so I wouldn't say I th- that. I think they suggested on the last day. Um, to be honest, there was so much. I'm still processing. It's, it was only five days ago. Um, I think the how many costume changes is that ago? So that yeah, <laughs> <Two and eight. laughs> He's just deroving as we speak. Well, there's several a day now that I'm, that I'm out. But um, but yeah, it was little things that I would reward myself with, like for instance, looking having the shower at night time mm. I'll be like just little wins celebrating little wins along the way for instance if I'm not going to move for this one hour I'm going to treat myself when I go to the toilet when I'm walking to the bathroom and really being present with the movement that mm. was the reward mm. it wasn't if an outsider would look at it and go well that's not a reward I'm like well when you're in a state of restriction when you're in physical pain and you're in a state of chronic pain that bit of freedom of movement can be a massive that's what i was going to ask what um for the listeners like i've got my knee injury from the army that's permanent and that sort of shoots up through my hip and everything what uh what physical 
um, challenges did you take in? Um, uh, that would probably. So what's wrong with you, in other words? Oh, that would probably take up the rest of the podcast. Um, <laughs> so back. But so I have um, bilateral shoulder injuries, lower back, um, right knee, uh, left ankle. Um, Did you get run over by a tank? Or? Uh, no, I don't really particularly want to go into service-related injuries. Yeah. Um, don't want to particularly go in, into that at this point in time. But, um, yeah, I have, I've had over 14 surgeries um, to date and I'm waiting on a fusion for my lower back and shoulders replaced and, and my ankle fused. But um, to be honest, um, I thought that I would be – I went in with the – not the expectation, but the awareness that I would probably unpack a lot of military-related topics when I was in there, and that just didn't get touched at all, which was interesting. Stuff from my childhood, and I was like, wow, I relived conversations that I had when I was a kid, mm. or stuff that i completely forgotten about. Because I say it's like a surgery in your mind, yeah. and you go where you need to go, so... Oh, of course. These these things that have been in the unconscious for decades, yeah. all of a sudden have got a little bit of space to come up. I think that's a really important point about the being grateful for walking to the bathroom. It's like, you know, if we were shut in a room and didn't see a sunset for two weeks, we might see a sunset and all of a sudden be really grateful and really take that experience in. Yep. It's like, how can we, how can we do that? you know, every day? How can we be grateful for these small things every day? I think that's where a lot of our peace and happiness comes into play. Oh, definitely. Um, For instance, with just celebrating those small wins, I think that they're so unbelievably important. And coming back to expectation management, when people think that they're going to get big percentages in their um, rehabilitation or just their management of their own day-to-day life and activities, it's small percentages that are important. You know, when people say, oh, look, I'm expecting a 50 60 percent shift from this one medallion like that's an unrealistic expectation yeah aim for one to two percent and that I, will be I, cumulative. I call them, instead of expectations I, I talk about removing all expectations and setting goals mm-hmm. because those expectations are attachments yes that's, that's, that's well, a should well, that's well, a hidden well, goals and intentions so for instance um a goal and an intention so um, they're both synonyms. Um, they're, they're both essentially the same thing. But in the West, when we walk towards a goal and we don't achieve it, we have a, almost a sense of failure. I'm, I'm talking about a yoga meditation perspective here. Yeah. And for instance, my goal is to walk from this side of the room to the other. When I stop halfway and I don't reach the objective, I then have this overwhelming sense of failure. Wouldn't, when that, I have wouldn't that only be if there's an underlying expectation that I should reach the other side? Well, if that conditions your mind. Well, goal is sense of you either achieve it or you don't. Yeah. That's, um, that's black and white thinking. It, it is, Ben. That's what that's I'm, what a goal is. Really. That's that's what I'm looking no, at. I, for I don't a goal. say. I say goal as being grey. I, I for yoga and meditation, I'm talking in this context. So in this context, I'm talking yoga and meditation. So my intention to get to the other side of the room and I can go stop halfway and I can go, well, you know what? I didn't achieve what my goal was, mm. but look how far I've come. Yeah. So that's uh, just a simple technique that I've used to change the way that I look at my own recovery. So for instance, I'm up at 3.55 every morning. I'm doing my own practice of yoga and meditation. Then I'll go to hydrotherapy 
and then I'll do either strength and conditioning training. And then I'll see a chiro or a physio, depending on what day, psychiatrist. You know, I'm doing a lot of mm. self-management. Mm. And when people say to me, um, oh, it's easy for you, or <laughs> they don't see what was involved of where you're at now, there used to be a time where I would react to it. Now I just smile mm. and just go, well, you actually are only seeing the here and now, mm. which is great, but you're not seeing the effort that it took to get here, that iceberg effect. You know, you mm. just see the tip of it, but you don't see all that mass o- Overnight success takes years to achieve. Yeah, yeah. you know, and f- for me, for instance, that small wins and celebrating them, not over the top, like, oh, I did one push-up, so therefore I can have one muffin. Um, you know, you know <laughs> that doesn't work. Is the work. muffin sitting you know, under you yeah. while you're doing the push-up? Yeah, oh, no. yeah. <laughs> I think there's a Simpsons um, skit when this lady's on one of those ab wheels and she does one roll out and then bites the cake and goes, each one's my reward, and then goes back. And you're like, well, look, if we, if, we, if we celebrate it in a way that you have a silent sort of even achievement and going, you know what? For instance, this morning doing my hydro um, regime, I got two extra laps in that I couldn't do four weeks ago. Mm. And having uh, another ankle surgery only 12 weeks ago, um, and I'm back to a state where, you know, my health specialist wouldn't anticipate that I would get to. Mm. And they set this limitation. (laughs) I didn't set this limitation. I'm like, I'm going to do this in small increments. And even the exercise physiologist would be looking and going, yeah, it's, it's okay, but you're pretty happy. I'm like, I don't care if, it, you know, yeah. your expectations of where I should be at. Yeah. I'm happy with this small little win, this small little moment. You can't rob me of that. Yeah. You know, well, they try to. Well, they tr- the people do all the time. Yeah. We constantly are, are, are um, the tall poppy syndrome, mm. you know, of getting um, flack for people. For instance, I've had people say to me, I've seen you as an extremely violent man doing this to other human, X, Y, Z, to human beings. Now you're teaching peace, love and kindness. And I would say to them, I'm not trying to deny anything that I've done in the past, but don't look at me as the man of the past. Mm. Look at me as the man I am now. I talk to my clients about that, that it takes, you know, two or three months perhaps for people to see you differently yep if you do all this training all this training they're gonna they're gonna have this internal image of of who they think you are and they're gonna no matter what you do they're gonna keep seeing you that yep. until you yeah, recondition them yeah we see that a lot it's a lag time and yeah. you know someone can have a really big significant shift in a session and make this big change and a belief system shifted <laughs> and emotions gone and they feel completely different and they go home they're like my fucking family are still treating me like this and, they, and it can get them down yeah. and you have to make them aware that it, give them time because <laughs> well, they've, they've got a data set of you for the last few years and you've shifted dramatically give them time to just get used to the new you they have an experience but yeah they're not in your head yeah. <laughs> and, and and that for me on a personal note every time I go to my hometown of Newcastle people see me in that man of the past yeah. and I have a lot of frustration that doesn't manifest into anything but you know, a lot of frustration that when I go back and I'll run into someone and they'll remember me from a time and that was all the last moment that they saw me yeah. or etc. And they'll take that as the baseline of you as a person. 
and that's a small town mentality anyway. Mm-hmm. But we all it's a crap town anyway. It. I got banned from Newcastle when I was on training. The whole platoon went there, and yeah, we got in a fight and got kicked out. Of oh Newcastle. really? Yeah. Bad boy. As you do, as you do. Uh, you know. for anyone, I'm not that man anymore. Stop yeah, looking at me yeah. in that light. For those of you listening at home, this is a rite of passage in the military. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, should we wrap up? Let's wrap this up. We've done nearly an hour and a quarter. It flies by, doesn't it, Tristan? It definitely does. Thank you so much for coming in and having this chat. I think there's a lot that people can take away from this. Uh, where can people get in touch with you or Blind Tiger Yoga if they want to check it out? Uh, they can go to blindtigeryoga.com um, and yeah, all the necessary information is on there. There's a few videos about um, my particular story and how I got into yoga and, and, um, and what my intention is and also some testimonials about the community that we teach to, etc. It's very hard for us to showcase what we do because we teach to a closed group of people, but we also teach public classes as well where, uh, where anyone that can come along. And also anyone that supports those members are welcome to come to our classes as well. So if it could be a family member, it could yeah. be a relation, really et cetera. Important. And we really want to make it accessible to these people, but not necessarily documenting um, that safe place for them as well. So. Um, we really encourage any veteran first responder or relation to any of those members to come along. And it's ultimately a food that you've never tried before. You know, you need to taste it yourself to experience it. Of course. So we really welcome anyone to come along. Um, we have a zero intimidation policy. So um, if anyone acts inappropriately, you'll be shown the door. And, you're um, out, Ryan. You're out. But you're we, out. We, out. we welcome banter. We, we are definitely not a pretentious studio and we're not in pretentious locations and it is ultimately breaking down the barriers of who and what yoga meditation is for so i love it i love it love it love it thank you again tristan that was a fantastic thank chat you. i think we'll have you on again one day good luck in the love states to. mate have fun yeah have a good trip mate cheers and um we'll see you 40 bastards next week awesome all right catch you <laughs> peace Thank you for tuning in to the Woke Blokes podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show. Also, leave us a five-star rating. We thank you so much, and we'll see you all next time.